The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you I am a boat Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, DBXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Side to you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and you're going to see two videos there at the top of the screen. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from yesterday afternoon. So if you missed that and you'd like to catch that, you can do so up until 3 o'clock Eastern today, at which time he'll be live right in that little area right there. On the right side of the page is where we are. Click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you got. Look for the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. We already got some friends over there this morning. Good to see you guys. And uh, we are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel. Please subscribe to it. Help us build that up. And then also we are live on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there. Thank you guys for carrying us over there at Before It's News. And then right up under where we're streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You can sign up for our email newsletter. Um, put your email in. If you got it in there before 7 p.m. Eastern, then you should get today's email. And uh, that's all the articles we have at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, including the morning show archive. So if you hear something on here, if there's a link or any of that stuff, plus we have not only the, the video, but we have the podcast version of the radio show that's in there as well. That comes in the email, so be sure and sign up for that if you want that. And then there are times, you know, we use documents, we use other videos and things like that. All of that's stuck in the archive for you guys to use. Uh, you share what you want, you use what you want, um, you know, freely you've been given. Uh, the Bible says uh, freely or freely you receive, freely give. Right. So that's that's the way we operate here. And then if uh, you would like to keep us out there doing what we're doing on the radio, the Internet and also among the 50 states as we go out and teach our Christian constitutional heritage, click on the donate button at sons of liberty dot com. You can make a one time donation or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And guys, uh, we do appreciate you very much. Uh, I know. The people in Michigan especially appreciate because uh, they're having Bradley in there all the time uh, to be able to preach and to teach. 
And uh, I think it's making quite a, a quite a difference because the crowd seemed to grow each time he goes back. And then, of course, the various states that we've been in as well. So uh, we thank you for that uh, very much. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, human trafficking. Now, we've talked about this before. Uh, we've had our friend Drew Nolan on from Victoria Tactical up there in, uh, I think he's in Ohio. I uh, haven't heard from Drew in a while, but uh, Drew is the guy we went and we, uh, me and my boys went up to cover Lobby Day in Virginia a couple of years ago. And uh, Drew was kind enough to send me some of that commie hot sauce, commie kicker hot sauce is what he called it. Uh, this was, oh man, this was cayenne peppers like I've never had before. He sent me some of those too, but he and his wife made it, it was very good. But uh, Drew had helped with a lot of uh, dealing with, with human trafficking. And I got a response from some people, uh, I don't know, maybe a week or two ago. I'm not sure. My time goes by so fast. And they said, would you like to interview this lady? Her name is Becky Rasmussen. I said, uh, okay, what's what's that all about? And um, uh, Becky is one who is an advocate against, uh, she's an anti-human uh, trafficking advocate. And uh, according to the bio that I'm sent, she's a victim advocate, a TV personality, a YouTuber, a podcaster. She's a busy lady, a founder of a successful nonprofit called to Freedom. Uh, she's well known in the Midwest for her advocacy since 2016 for anti-human trafficking. A call to Freedom brings wholeness to all individuals impacted by sex and labor trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation by navigating a healing path through our continuum of care model. Uh, based out of South Dakota, Call to Freedom not only serves those in the state, but the Midwest region. She is also an author of a book here titled Call to Freedom, A Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children. And joining us not only is uh, is Becky, uh, but we also have Mary Jackson, and she is um, a survivor, and she's also a co-author of the book. And ladies, it's my privilege to welcome you to the Sons of Liberty. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to see you guys. Now, Now, everybody, uh, I'm going to put this on. Yeah, it did fit. Okay. I'm going to put this on. Everybody didn't see what was going on as we were playing the music. You girls were like little party girls in there or something. I thought, man, I'm going to come on. And we knew just somebody was watching and we just had to like, <laughs> embrace the moment and get into the groove. So I'm glad you could witness our little move. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was fun. And I'm glad. I'm glad that you guys are having fun here. So let's let's talk about this a little bit. You guys have put out this book, but it's not just about giving somebody something, somebody, uh, somebody something to read. It's about getting them educated so that they can act on that. Is that right? Yeah. So this book, um, which is called The Freedom's A Parent's Guide to Healing, um, to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children, was actually birthed from a grandmother of a first survivor uh, of Call to Freedom. And she had worked with us in regards to um, just working with parents as, as we navigated cases coming through the doors. And I asked her one day to write a, just a resource guide for um, parents, um, because not only were we serving these young individuals, but also their parents were in the trauma as well. And it really evolved into something different. It evolved into this beautiful collaboration between uh, Mary, who you'll hear from, and Ruth, and some other survivors that uh, want to rename nameless at this time. And so the purpose of the book really was, is we were fielding calls from all over the world from parents that were saying, I don't know where to turn. Um, I don't know where to get services. I think my daughter or my son was being pulled into a scenario. 
And we just really felt prompted that we were supposed to get this book into the hands as many parents as we possibly could to prevent trafficking. And um, we want to prevent, but also intervene. What we saw is a lot of individuals are getting groomed. And so there's a manipulation and grooming process that happens. And during that process, a lot of times parents feel out of control. They don't know how to understand what's happening. Why are they losing their relationship with their loved one? And this book was really geared towards targeting parents. But um, as we released it and people were reading it, they said, I think anybody could really learn from this as far as human trafficking, knowing the warning signs, but also trauma within their own individual loved one's life. Maybe it wasn't human trafficking, maybe it was sexual exploitation or sexual abuse. Um, it kind of is that holistic approach to be able to provide insight in those areas. Okay. All right. One of the things that I want to ask here is I understand, Mary, that you're a survivor. So we're going to get to your story here in just a little bit. But Becky, what got you into this? I mean, you've been doing this since what, 2016? Was there was there times where you were active with other things uh, along this nature or was there something that, I guess, for lack of a better term, triggered you and said, hey, I need to be involved in this and I need to be doing some things? Yeah, this is a call for me. Um, I actually got introduced mid 2000s to um, about 2006, rather, um, to anti-human trafficking and what was happening in South Dakota. And I always feel stirred to be able to get involved or to do something. And in 2015, um, I went to uh, outreach in Sturgis, South Dakota, which is the largest bike rally um, in the state. I think it's in the United States as well. About 450 to 500,000 individuals come to South Dakota over the course of 10 days. And we were doing outreach just letting people know that um, if you are purchasing a person, um, maybe they're not willing. And um, I had an encounter with a young girl. Her name was Marissa and actually our housing project, Marissa's house is named after her. It was about a 10 minute uh, conversation. And after afterwards, I found out she was a young girl that was missing, um, had been found, went missing again. And I began to ask the questions, how do you find potential survivors of human trafficking or exploitation? And then how do they get re-recruited into these situations? And they began to tell me that there's only 298 beds in the United States at that time for survivors of trafficking. And that um, if they didn't have the services or the basic needs provided to them, then they they were really easy prey to be re-recruited back into those situations. And, you know, I was presented at that time with I could do something about this or I could just know and live with that for the rest of my life. And I felt the Lord call me to say, no, you're supposed to do something about it. Amen. That's right. And so uh, November of 2015, we applied for our 501c3 for Call to Freedom, and um, we've received our 501c3 uh, acknowledgement in January of 2016. We opened our first office in March of 2016, and we haven't worked. We haven't looked back. Today, we we started with all volunteers, and today we have 25 staff that are doing this work that are very passionate and very caring and um, inclusive to those that walk through the doors of Call to Freedom. Okay, now is when 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 we're thinking about this, you're pro, are you basically providing assistance for those who've been involved in this? Or, mm -hmm. and I know you're an advocate uh, uh, for anti-human trafficking, obviously, but do you actually work with some guys who actually go in and maybe rescue people who've been in those kind of situations? 
Uh, I'm familiar with groups that do that. Okay. We cut, we do the service portion of it. So we journey life with survivors once they want to leave or get out of those situations. And so we work pretty closely with law enforcement um, to do those rescue pieces if needed. Um, but what we have found in our work is a lot of survivors of trafficking don't know that they're actually trafficking victims. And so we've done a lot of education within systems. 88% of individuals go through emergency departments within our hospitals. And we don't identify what's really happening with those situations. And so our job is really to educate, but also then once those individuals are connected to us through services, then we journey life with them. And we have uh, case managers that do reentry. So we work in the prisons and the jails. We also have a housing, um, which is called Marissa's House that houses um, right now 12 survivors and 10 children. So that's very, very exciting. And then we also have um, where we have mental health and CD assessors on staff. One of the things we realized when building Call to Freedom was, um, you know, there were a lot of needs for survivors and the complex trauma is very real. And so we wanted to make sure that they didn't have to keep retelling their story. And so as we began to develop the continuum of care model, we kept adding these positions so that the survivors would have a holistic wraparound approach to be able to have all the services they need. I think what we've realized is that people don't have their survivors or victims of trafficking don't have their basic needs or uh, safety met. They don't leave those situations because it could be worse for them in the long run. And so we want to make sure that we are providing the services so they have the success of coming out. Okay. All right. Now, Mary, let's bring you in the picture here because I, Sounds good. <laughs> Becky just said something to me that I, I'm like, okay, how do how do the how do people not know that they're uh, trafficking victims? How how do they not know that? Yeah, I I can really speak from my own experience okay. and probably the people that I have mentored uh, and my nationwide survivor support group. So when you're like, I'll just share a little bit about myself. I was probably considered the girl next door. I grew up in a Christian household. Both of my parents owned businesses. Um, I went to, started in a Christian college. So I, it wasn't that I was, I would say dumb in any way. I was very smart. I was always searching, searching because I didn't feel like I belonged. I was searching for friends. Um, in my house, there was probably uh, quite a bit of verbal abuse, um, kind of a generational thing where I was always told that I wouldn't amount to anything. I wasn't like other people in my family. Um, just that expectation in life and how you're treated within your own family dynamic. Maybe the black sheep of the family, but I know I'm not now. Um, so I left the borders of South Dakota, went to the East Coast, but um, I went in search too of trying to fit in and belong. And I ran across a very evil, evil man. And I also ran across a bunch of evil people. But at the time, they accepted me in when I felt like I didn't simply belong. And I saw, I know it kind of sounds strange, but a lot of survivors I talk to, it's that fitting in, uh, validating, and whatever your vulnerabilities are, because you have a lot of vulnerabilities and trauma prior to being trafficked. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, that makes sense. So we've had uh, Deanna Lynn on, who was formerly in the uh, uh, in the porn industry, 
uh, came out, became uh, a vibrant Christian. I mean, really uh, written a couple of books and things. And of course, hers is obviously a, di a different scenario, but it was very much the same. She was taught from a young, uh, young girl. She said her mom started showing her porn and she's like four or five years old. I'm like, what in the world? And but she yeah. grew up thinking this is what a woman's <laughs> supposed to be. And so when people were ready to traffic her uh, and use her in prostitution long before the porn industry, uh, she thought this is that I've I've achieved what I'm supposed to be as a woman. So I I just kind of wanted to understand how that played along. And that makes sense because that's how cults work, too, don't they? They they welcome people right. in mm -hmm. and uh, make them feel at home until they get them trapped and they get their their fingers in them. And then they, they don't want to let them go. OK, so. What happened? I'm, I, I've been warned there are certain things that we don't want to talk about. So you talk about what you want to and you say, if you say, hey, no, we're not going to go there. That's fine. But in that instance, what trans what happens that a, a person gets accepted and then all of a sudden there's something else going on that they didn't realize that they were being set up for? What happens? Is this a night and day scenario or is this something that happens over a period of time? I I believe it would depend on what you have experienced in what trafficking group okay. that is controlling you. So my would have been uh, considered cartel trafficking out of South America, uh, Colombia, South America. So when I moved to the East Coast, I had become pregnant when I had a boyfriend at the time. And he explained to me, well, you're going to have an abortion if you want to stay with me. And I called my family, my dad, who is no longer alive. And I said, dad, I'm, I'm pregnant. I, I need to come home. And he said, you can't come home. Uh, you're an embarrassment to the family. Wow. Um, you're not married. Uh, so I, I was shunned within our um, community, not purposely. That's just was the mentality at the time. So I turned to a new group of friends and I told them my situation and I was already vulnerable. I was vulnerable to just fit in and someone to say, yeah, I couldn't do it on my own. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I had a group of new friends and they were actually from Colombia, but I did not know they were from Colombia. I thought they were from Cuba. I would not have known the difference. Someone speaking Spanish from Guatemala, Mexico, or Colombia or Cuba. I learned. And it was a, for myself, it was probably a slower manipulation which that's what we like to say for the grooming process, because slowly they lure you in so that you're 100% dependent on them for your food, <clears throat> transportation. Um, they take everything. At the time, we didn't have cell phones. We had these big, huge cell phones or car phones. Um, and you're just so isolated, but that's how traffickers work. They isolate you. That wouldn't be probably any different in the beginning of a domestic violence. So it doesn't start out where you're being hit, um, raped. It's just a slow process for okay. myself. Okay. And once that started, I was already not going to be leaving. And what becomes normal for people who are victims of human trafficking is completely abnormal for somebody else. That's what our reality is. We learn to accept it. Our brains have been really rewired, especially when you go through trauma and the complexity behind trafficking and the trauma that is associated with that. Uh, you have buyers, you have the traffickers, you have other people who are involved and the bonds and the trauma bonds that you form with them. That is a really difficult 
very difficult to understand, especially anyone who's already in there and a victim. But they don't even really understand how the people you think love you and care about you would ever do this to you. They literally make you believe that you asked for it or you owe them. I have friends that would probably classify themselves as a sex worker. They would suddenly say, oh my goodness, the minute like a pimp, gorilla pimp came in and you owe money and you owe that person money and you cannot leave. And mine would have been probably a little different in the fact that I did marry uh, my trafficker. I had a son and I wanted to leave. And when I wanted to leave, they wouldn't let me leave. There was more involved with human trafficking, the sex and labor trafficking. It would have been, mine would have been considered a, also the criminality behind trafficking. There's a lot of cr criminality, um, whether it's drugs. Um, I didn't have an addiction, but I was used in many different ways and, and made the cartel a lot of money by simply being an American girl. Okay. So when, and a lot of people, when they think of human trafficking, what they think of is sort of a sex slave, a sex slave or sex in a sex trade kind of thing. But you mentioned labor as well. Are we talking about labor like you're going to see on the construction sites? Are we talking about labor as in they're moving drugs around and this, that, and the other, or, or illegal weapons, whatever the case may be, they're trafficking weapons or something like this. What's the labor end of that? And how does it, how does it span out? What all does it include? Yeah, I can speak from my experience uh, would have been the uh, drug dealing, uh, moving up drugs, and also arms dealing. And then, of course, the uh, trafficking, the sex trafficking being exchanged between people, buyers. Um, there's a lot of money to be made in that. This is a world that we are a commodity. The victims are a commodity. We are not considered human beings. It is strictly, strictly business. The cartel had told me that when I wanted to leave, they're like, nope, you make us way too much money. And I thought, what the heck is happening here? Yeah. And it was a, it was a, probably a whole different podcast. Uh, mine would have been, um, I was actually in the federal prison system. So I did have a federal case and I went unrecognized as a victim of trafficking but I had some great people in my case that I did get back to South Dakota. Um, and people kept saying, something's not right here. This doesn't make sense. How does a girl from South Dakota end up marrying somebody and having all this happen to her? There's something going on, but there was no way to identify me. People didn't talk about human trafficking years ago. It happened other places, other countries, but definitely not in the United States and definitely not to the girl next door. It's easy to say if you see your vulnerabilities are high and for the person who's homeless or has an addiction, somehow it seems that moral compass in your brain says that's easier because that person, oh, I could see how they would be trafficked. But for myself, people are like, whoa, that's really different. I'm like, it's not as unusual as people think. So I did come home. Uh, we did get my son back out of uh, Colombia. The cartel did uh, take him at two months old. 
and we got him back after two years. Amen. Hallelujah. So through this really uh, journey that I've walked alone, um, I met up with Call to Freedom. So they have really, I mean, I've worked with this organization for the past, Becky, I don't know how many years, um, really bringing that hope and knowing that we can turn our lives around. We don't have to be defined of what happened to us in the past and that we do need help and that we're worth it and that we're someone's daughter and, and mother. And by the way, my son is doing great, uh, graduated from college in another state. <laughs> All right. Uh, Amen. And my ex has been um, murdered many, uh, I don't know, even know how many years ago. I don't give him his name. I don't call out his name. I don't give him that uh, recognition. And everyone else involved in this uh, ring, this cartel, have been murdered or are in prison. Well, good. I mean, that, that you know, what goes around comes around. Uh, the Lord, the Lord's eyes are in every place. We talked about this earlier in the week. Uh, the people think they do things in the dark so he won't see, but he sees, he knows, and he brings justice and recompense where he will. In fact, this was one of the things I was going to bring up. Deuteronomy 24, 7, you know, that everybody's familiar with thou shalt not steal. Well, what does that all include? Well, it includes men, too, or women. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel, making merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief shall die and thou shalt put away evil from among you. You know, one of the things that we see going on in our culture is the Mockingbird media takes it and they, they take the victim and they make them out to be, you know, the troublemaker or the problem. And then they take the criminal and they want to show more mercy to the criminal than they do their victims. They want to put them up with three hots and a cot. They want to charge the victim uh, through taxation uh, to put them up. They want to put the victim's families through that. They want to put people who aren't even a part of it through that by taxing them. And hey, if you don't pay those taxes, we're going to throw you in there with the guy. I mean, we have it so completely backwards from the way the Lord has set up mm -hmm. that justice is supposed to be. Uh, brought about. And I know, uh, Becky, you're really not on that end of things, or maybe you are, maybe you want to speak to that. I know yours is more dealing with the victims and such and helping them get back, you know, on their feet and, and things. But when it comes to, to justice, how is Call to Freedom involved in that? Are they involved? In, I'm assuming that you have some yeah. play in that because there's some court cases that you're dealing with as well. Yeah. You know, for us to advocate on behalf of those that walk through the doors is very important because um, a lot of times their voice has been suppressed and the forced criminality that Mary was talking about is very real. A lot of times these traffickers will put individuals that um, they, they don't take the fall, like you're saying, they don't take the fall for the criminality or behind the scenes doing these criminal acts. They use the victims and force them to do drug deals, guns, um, and, and human trafficking, and then they get the prosecutions. And that's something that we advocate for to change legislation to make sure that victims have every opportunity to be successful transitioning out of those situations. And just the verse you read, um, that's why trafficking victims don't leave. They don't think they're going to be believed. They don't feel supported. They don't have services. And as you heard Mary's story, their, their emotional and economical abuse that is involved with this type of victimization of human trafficking, 3% of victims are ever identified. That means 97% of individuals that are in trafficking situations 
A, maybe never get help or B, never leave those situations. And that's not good enough. So we advocate for systems, for systems to be able to respond to trafficking, to incorporate it into their protocols and have a response when a human trafficking sex or labor walks through the doors of an emergency department or through law enforcement or through our school systems. We have to understand this victimization. And, and the other part of this is, is this is a business. So it's not facilitated like domestic violence. Now there's domestic violence pieces to human trafficking because that's part of the manipulation and, and coercion piece. But um, what we gotta realize is that human trafficking changes the way it looks all the time. They used to take people like taken, you know, they would kidnap them and bring them in. But what would happen now is traffickers got a lot smarter. It's harder to prove if a victim seems willing. And so I've even talked to law enforcement where they've said, you know, I wish that they actually had scars that we could see. Um, the emotional scars are really hard to prove in court. And so this is a money making business because, and I, and I don't say that to, to disregard people's lives, but we want to hold these people, like you said, accountable for their actions. And it's really hard to do that. And, and being a victim, if you are going in front of somebody in a court case, you're reliving that trauma again. So it's really hard to get individuals back on that stand that have been victimized emotionally, uh, economically, um, physically, um, as well to get them on the stand to prosecute these cases. So we have to do better. We have to figure this out in our systems. We have to advocate for, for those that are being victimized um, until they find, like Mary, their own voice that they can speak for themselves and be able to be that strong voice for other survivors. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing to do. Uh, in fact, I was thinking, uh, Mary, you were mentioning, um, and I'm thinking of a certain passage and some, some history that I have, but you were making mention of that uh, the traffickers that you were deal dealing with came from South America. And we, we know a lot of Central and South America is largely dominated by Roman Catholics. Can I ask you, was there any indication that uh, the, 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 the members of the group that were there, is there any indication that they were Roman Catholic or were they just non-religious at all and this was all about money and whatever they were doing there? Oh, Tim, this is it's just uh, they were consider themselves uh, Roman Catholics. But of course, when you go into the church, the light bulbs, the light fixtures all have um, gates around them or little. So nobody would steal the, the light bulbs or anything that was in that church. They a lot of some of the churches would be probably fronts. They're all. I Sometimes I feel bad saying this, but. I, at, during the time I was there, I don't think anybody didn't know somebody that was doing something wrong in that culture. Um, I've met people in the mountains and they have a leftist guerrilla movement there called FARC and M19s. Um, I didn't even know who that was. I didn't even know who they were, but they would talk with me and you get kind of, your brain starts thinking. And it's crazy how that brain controls so much, but that you're preyed upon also not in a Christian way. And that's a spiritual. So that's when I tell Becky, it's physical, mental, and spiritual is that we need to break those trauma bonds in all aspects because they do use, quote, religion to also keep people.
Okay. And can you can you elaborate on that just a little bit? Because we look, we had uh, Kathy Bryan, Kathy O'Brien, on last week, two days. Uh, you guys may be familiar with her, maybe not. She was in the MK Ultra program, the Project Monarch, for years, and there was a guy high up intelligence who left everything behind to save her and her daughter, deprogrammed them. Uh, he he died back in like 2017 now, but uh, she was saying the same thing. They would use these, they would use biblical uh, verses to trigger them or to open them up to receive messages that they've been given by other people and things of like that. Can you give an example of what they're doing there? Um, it would be really, there's like a groups of people that would actually pray over you, but it's not a prayers in a Christian way, but you don't understand it. And they would bring some of us to like underground places that had these prayers. And I know it's probably my trauma, not remembering everything. Sometimes that's what happens. But you go back sometimes and you're like, ooh, that was a dark place. It didn't seem that way in the beginning because you thought, well, because your brain is thinking, well, this is normal. Uh, but it's not because it, it's a spiritual attack. And that's how they also hold you and bond you. But people who have been through this would understand that somehow, and you have to break those. You have to break those spiritual ties. So they do pray over you, but it's not prayers in a Christian way. Well, that's what I was saying. Is it is it more a prayer of like uh, to obviously look? I, I'm going to be straight up. I think Rome is a, is an antichrist uh, religion. Uh, it is. It does not represent Christ at all. The dogmas, uh, its history has shown it is. It is a large sex trafficker. Uh, they used to set up brothels. As a matter of fact, it's crazy. Even though they demand that their nuns and their their priests, you know, be uh, celibate. But it is. It is. It, I'm assuming their prayers are that you'll get to where you're supposed to get safe, and they're going to make money and all this kind of stuff. That that that's kind of the prayers because I've seen even mm -hmm. some of these pop stars pray that they do the things that the Lord condemns, you know, that he'll bless the things that they do. So I'm assuming it's prayers very much like that. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's some churches here in the United States that are the, uh, that way. Also, I won't name names on that, but it's more like, oh yeah, we're going to say a prayer. We're going to light a candle. Um, we're going to pray over Mary or, or, or whomever uh, that the, you know, here, here's the, we're going to have a party afterwards because the drug deal went good and we prayed and God gave us that. And that's, you know, they literally believe that. Uh, even people that work for the church, I'm not calling that out. I'm just saying in that area, in my experience only. Um, yeah, there were people that worked in the church and uh, priests uh, that received money from this group. So Incredible. It, again, Incredible. yeah, it's not that I'm saying everywhere I went, I just know of the circumstances where it did happen. Well, the reason but I, it, yeah, the reason I asked, we, we've talked about Rome and then we'll get back on, on what we're talking about here, but we talked about Rome. And one of the things that uh, I recall, there was a, there was a book years ago that came out, didn't care for the guy's soteriology, but his history was really good. Uh, and that was called A Woman Rides the Beast. It was a book by Dave Hunt. And this was one of the, the passages that came out of that as well. This is from Revelation 18. Uh, it says, The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. 
the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones, of pearls, of fine linen, of purple and silk and scarlet. By the way, we've heard the Vatican calling for all the gold to be given back to them. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, it seems to, it seems like there's a lining up of those things. And all thin wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of precious wood and of brass and iron and marble. And then here's where the catch comes in. And cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. And it's the, they're involved in all of this stuff include, I mean, and, and, and a lot of it has to do with the very things that are opposed to what God himself says we should, should be doing. And uh, I think this is why the reformers took their stand. They saw them, they, they called it out. They said, this is the seat of antichrist at the time they called the papacy that so i'm not surprised that that's going on but it like what you said it's a it's an odd thing that people would be doing some of the most wicked things like this and then claiming that it's in the name of christ or that god is blessing them as a result of it it's just it just boggles my mind yeah it, it it's at pure evil um when we work these cases um you know there's usually a spiritual attachment of some sort that has happened. Um, it's a way to keep them held to bound to that trafficker, even when they leave. And we have to work through those spiritual attachments and navigate those to where those are at some point in time broken over their life as well. And so this is the goal of this is slavery is to keep everybody in the circle of human trafficking. So the buyers, the people who are selling people and the victims in this bond of evilness. And so what does the enemy do? What does Satan do? He takes what's good and distorts it so that individuals don't get freedom. And what we really need to talk about is how do we use the Lord's, you know, the Lord's freedom, you know, his name, his blood, what he gave to us to be able to break these chains of this cycle of human trafficking, because it is so deep, it is so evil. But but these tactics of trafficker, they know what's good. So how do I keep this person, this victim in that situation? Well, I distort everything that's good. And that's the name of Jesus. And so, you know, we got to understand that this this is not only this evil actions, but there's also the spiritual point of what we're dealing with when we're talking about this whole circle of human trafficking. And, and we need to start praying for those that are buying, because if we didn't have buyers and we didn't have people that needed business, we wouldn't have human trafficking. Amen. That's right. We need to start talking. We need to start praying for the traffickers that they have a come to Jesus, real come to Jesus meeting, and and they stop doing what they're doing. And, and that is the only way that we're going to break this cycle. And we're going to have more victims than we've ever had. We have over 40 million people, and that's an old number. We don't have a current number. I think it's a lot higher, but that's the only stat nationally we have is over 40 million people in modern day slavery today. And that's not good enough. And if we keep this hidden, and that's why we're on here today, we don't want to keep this hidden anymore. We want to talk about this because people need to know your children, if you're not talking to your children about online safety warning signs, guess what? That trafficker will be. And so we need to break the silence over something that people think that they cannot fall prey to um, so that they, they don't get into those situations, which are very, very difficult, as you heard from Mary, to get out of once you're in. 
Okay, let's talk about that right there because uh, we're we're not one to to uh, the, our show is not one to say here's all the bad stuff and cause fear and this that and the other because we believe the scriptures call us over and over not to fear. Uh, we are to face things, even even our own sin. We're to face it so that we might repent of it. Uh, so let's talk about some of those, those these kind of solutions. When you're talking about, uh, you know, Mary, I don't know how old you were when you when this all started with you. If you want to tell the audience, that's up to you. Yes, I was um, eight, about eighteen. Okay, all right, and I'm sure there are there are those who are much younger, even preteens, yeah. uh, that yeah. they get a hold of. So. What would be some things that parents should look for? And look, I, I believe that parents who are involved in their kids' lives, they're going to notice they're going to notice something's wrong, whether they know exactly what it is or not. They're they're involved in that. And that's why we encourage parents, Deuteronomy chapter six, to teach their own kids. Don't send them off to the state indoctrination centers we call public schools to be indoctrinated as statists and make them a prey. What's some things that parents can look for if they suspect that Hey, maybe my child's interacting with somebody who's trying to groom them, who's trying to lure them away. What's some things that they should look for? Um, I would say um, if you notice them having new friend groups, an older boyfriend, um, they start their habits start to change. They miss school. Um, they may say things like, uh, I don't want to live in here more. I'm stuck in something. Um, they may be resistant and make excuses. Um, they might be hiding their cell phone and having conversations that become more uh, mischievous in their um, behavior. Um, and those are all signs um, that they're hiding something. Um, and it doesn't always mean that it's human trafficking. It could be an unhealthy relationship. But when you start noticing signs like that from your children, you need to start having conversations with them. Um, and if you can't get them to talk, then counselors are always a really good option to find a safe place where there maybe they can talk to because sometimes those traffickers will threaten the family members. And so that young person may feel like they can't talk. Um, they might be holding some pornography pictures, you know, nudie pictures that they sent them. There are lots of different ways that this is facilitated. So what I tell parents is get educated. You know, the book that we have, the, I'm going to do a little plug here, Calder Freedom, uh, A Parent's Guide to Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children. Uh, Mary shares her personal lived experiences as well as Ruth um, and other survivors of how they got pulled into these situations. And um, I think this is really important for parents to be educated on this, but also then if you are noticing some of these signs to see what could this be human trafficking, is it lining up with some of the things that we talk about in the book? Um, and I just think it's really important to be proactive in this because once somebody falls prey to human trafficking, it's really difficult to get them out. And we don't want that. And that's why we don't want to make money. We want to get this book into as many hands, um, as many parents as we possibly can. And for the other reason is to provide hope. Uh, a lot of parents that are feeling that this is spiraling out of control because it isn't a one day. It is a grooming process, a manipulation process that it takes sometimes up to six months. I've had families who've met the trafficker of their child. They've had dinner with them because they're so master manipulators. They, pre they present them as you know, this good person who's meeting all these needs and love bomb them. And then they end up um, going to Chicago for a weekend and they don't return. And so um, notice these signs, get educated. Um, and we want to help you do that through this book.
Okay. All right. And now <clears throat> with what you do in helping those who've come out of it, you talked about uh, several women and then the children that you have at uh, Marissa's house. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Okay. Yes. What goes on on a day-to-day basis in helping these these women and children? That Now, I, my understanding is, and we've had some other people we've talked to with human trafficking is, it's not just women and children. Sometimes there's men who are involved in this. They, they get them as well. What goes on on a day-to-day basis where you help these women and children sort of regain their lives? Yeah. Every journey is different. Um, trauma has layers and your body suppresses trauma. And so when we begin to live life with the survivors, um, it, they might be doing really well on one end of their life. And then the next day, a whole new layer of trauma is revealed. It could be a smell. It could be a pair of shoes. It could be a food that was used in their torture. I, it, it is it is so um, it's hard to say an exact day, but we get up. We, our goal is to allow them to be self-sufficient in a supported environment. And so they are um, the they end up paying rent at some point in time. But our job is to get them um, counselors, mental health assessed, um, all those support systems in place so that they can be successful in that next journey of just getting a job. And then how do I parent? I haven't been with my child um, and they usually get separated from their children in this process. And so now they're taking on a new place that they have to manage and, and clean. And I have trauma that I didn't know that I had. And so that supportive environment really is to allow them to live life, but not be alone in that. And what we would see is as we are helping survivors, life in general, when you add trauma on top of it, is just too overwhelming. And I would hear survivors say, I think it's easier to go back it's easier to go back because it's so overwhelming. And that's what Marissa's house does. It provides a supportive environment where they can live, be supported, find jobs, and be able to learn those skills to be self-sufficient when they leave. Okay, Mary, let me ask you about that. Uh, you know, what, what Becky's talking yeah. about here, you obviously went through through the, uh, I don't want, I want to call it a program. You, you went through a, a thing, of a, a situation where people loved on you and they cared about you. Were there times where you just wanted to say, ah, this is just too much stuff to do. I want to go back to what I was doing or, you know, what was, what was, what was your perspective on what you were experiencing there? Yeah. Um, I tell other survivors, overcomers that how we respond, even coming out of the life or the game, uh, is a normal reaction to an abnormal experiences. So we're not all like crazy and how we think and act. It's really normal. We need help. Uh, when I came home though, and a couple of times I did, I, I went back a couple of times. Uh, I went back because the traffickers are really good at making sure I was controlled. I was controlled in other ways. I did not have an addiction to illicit or illicit drugs. So I was controlled um, really, really in bad ways. But when I came home, they would come after me and come back and take me back, not forcibly, but they lure, lure you back. Is it, would, would you say it's something similar to what we've been told is Stockholm syndrome? There's a familiarity say, yeah. there and things, and you feel more comfortable even in that environment where you're being abused. Right. Um, I also, from talking with many people nationwide on this, because we all kind of, feel the same way when we're, we're talking regardless of what we've experienced and we'll say yeah we went back or or we still think about 
these people even afterwards and we're home and they did horrible things to us and we didn't deserve it. It wasn't our choice, but you have that bond. That's why I talk about uh, breaking that bond. And I talk to the people I mentor now that um, it's, it's a hard journey. It's a lifelong journey, but now we know how to react and we're not doing the fight, flight, freeze, fawn modes. Uh, we're not going back. Uh, but in the beginning, we we go back because you go back to what you know. Um, and if your needs are not met, I sat down with Becky and called the freedom and questions were asked, like, what does a victim coming out need? And I said, well, what don't we need? I was fortunate to have a family that didn't understand me or what I went through. And I didn't have really anyone to talk about it. But had I not had my family, I would have been back on the street or in a homeless shelter or somewhere. I have no clue because there was no services. So I sit down with Becky and her team and I'll say, well, you need occupational therapy. You need housing, you need employment services. Uh, basic needs have to be met. That, um, oh, I can't even think of what the theory is now, but the traffickers use that um, Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. They use that to control and keep you at the bottom two levels because they don't want you to ever reach those levels where where you're actually self-actualization and, and feeling accepted and loved. They want to control every aspect. And so it is very, like I said, it's very difficult when you come home because you've got to break all of this, break what is normal to you because there's nothing normal. Uh, a survivor had said to me, whoever said this saying, there is no such thing as normal. It's just a setting on a dryer. Mm. So we really walk this journey and called the freedom walks alongside us and that's why we wrote this book ruth and i because my parents and i usually start crying because they're, they're both not here they have passed away they would have loved sorry i always get emotional on this okay. um, they would have loved to have had someone to talk to uh, they would have loved to have had a ruth or a call to freedom uh, to understand how could this happen to their daughter mm -hmm. um and they just they didn't have that support so it just it affects the victim but it affects a lot of people here yeah uh, the amen. family structure that's why you want to keep that family together yeah. but this book is really written to let people understand that mindset and how do you support walk alongside somebody who has had horrific things happen and we're trying to fit in and have society accept us um I'm just grateful now and thank you for having us on that we have a voice. I don't speak for others because they have their own journey, but I, I do speak for those that I've met that are no longer here, that were left behind and are just, nobody heard their voice. Yeah. And, Mary, let yeah. me ask you something about that. And then uh, Becky, I, I want to get back to you here a second, but what about your parents? Um, you know, again, on the show, we, we encourage people to, uh, you know, train up their children in the way they should go. I mean, the Bible says that we should do that. And in those those kind of relationships, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I told my wife uh, was uh, when when she first got pregnant, I said, well, you know, if you're going to be at home, which is what we believe the, the Lord would have the woman to do to be in the home, put her energy in the home, love her husband, love her children. I said, well, now I'm going to have to, you know, give myself and making sure that we can we can do that. And I know some homes, man, both parents are gone. 
the kids are left with with people who aren't their parents and they're left with all all these other young idiots. I, that's what I want to say, because when we're young, we're idiots. We, we we think we know everything, but we don't. And we think it's good for our kids to be around just all those. You know, let them yeah. let them influence. But were your parents, you know, it sounds like, you know, you were talking about verbal abuse and things. Were they taking the time to even put the word of God in you or to pray with you or any of those kinds of things? No, I think it's a generational thing. That's why you always have to break that generational cycle um, of anything that's unhealthy because that just carries from that generation to generation. And I say that's spiritual too. So how my father was raised that he never, his own father treated him the same way, that he would never amount to anything. He's always had these expectations in life. And I tell parents this, sit down and talk to your children. They might not like it. They might not appreciate you and they might yell and do whatever. And, uh, but you're having a conversation to at least plant that seed in their brain to understand that this does happen and it doesn't know any boundaries. So my parents, uh, no, did not sit down. We, we attended mass, um, every Sunday. We, um, prayed at the dinner table, but we did not open up the Bible and pray as a family. Uh, both my parents worked. I don't know if that generation is, you're defined more by the job that you have and what society tells you. So you make a lot of money, then therefore you're a worthy person. Uh, and that's kind of what happened with my uh, dad. He was very much about um, business. I mean, I don't fault him. We had a conversation on his deathbed. And he said he just, he didn't know. And we still didn't talk about it. We never used the word trafficking. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, we and we've talked about this too. I'm, our family is actually going through somewhat of a shift too, in that I see this idea of what Jesus said, you're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. And our system is geared towards serving money. Everything, even if you have the best intentions, it's all about serving money. That's exactly what it is. Ladies, we're up about uh, about a minute here. I wonder if I can hold you over just a little bit after the radio show. We'll be on the video platform. Is that okay? Sure. sure. Okay. Because I want to ask at least one more question, maybe another, but I want to give you guys a time time to promote the site as well as the book. So, Becky, do you want to you want to do that? Yeah, sure. Um, You can. Find the book on Amazon called To Freedom, A Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children. Or you can go to calltofreedom.org, um, which is our website. You can order the book on calltofreedom.org. You can find out about Call to Freedom. We actually, Ruth and Mary, um, is, are doing parent connection classes uh, as well. So what we wanted to do is take the book and make it a live virtual option for individuals. And so um, you can sign up for, for those free classes as well. And there's one about hearing in person what human trafficking looks like, social media. And then the third one on there as well is about if you're in these situations, how do I can relate to my loved one in those situations. And so we want to not only equip with the book, but also with free sessions um, if people are struggling or have additional questions. Okay. And that's all at calltofreedom.org. Okay. All right. That's Becky and Mary. Join us on sonsoflibertymedia.com before it's news.com for the rest of this. Rally be with you at three. We'll see you in the morning at 6 a.m. Lord willing. Adios. All right. I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And Becky, one of the questions I want to ask is, 
in, you know, I was asking kind of, uh, you know, what you guys do and stuff, but, but I'm, I'm very curious in your setting with the women you have there now, the children you have there now at Marissa's house, not only meeting those needs. Um, and I think that's a good thing because the Bible tells us, you know, in James, it says, you know, if, if you, if you see your brother destitute and in need of food and clothing and all, and you just say, yeah, be warm and filled, you're not really doing nothing. You might make yourself feel good, but it's not doing anything for your brother. So the, those other things are really good. What is the spiritual input? I, I'm, 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 a, I'm sensing from our conversations that you guys have people who come in. And I personally, I don't recommend people counsel unless they're going to do it biblically, unless they're going to do it God's way. Because otherwise, you leave the person without the anchor, if you will, for what all the counseling is about. What do you guys do spiritually for those women and children who come in uh, to Marissa's house to to aid them uh, mentally and spiritually after what they've endured? Yeah, I think one of the keys to being successful in allowing people on their spiritual journey is to allow them to be able to communicate what they want. Now, we are a faith-based organization, Jesus, but as you've heard, they've had a lot of manipulation and a lot of the manipulation that has been done to those that we serve has been spiritual. And so, you know, we can't force something on them because it doesn't work. Um, so we want to, I always say to my staff, you got to walk it, not talk it. And we have to show yeah, them something right. different and model that so that that draws them to the heart of the father and the heart of Jesus. And so, um, it's been a beautiful journey. We do have a spiritual coordinator on staff that takes them to churches, does Bible studies. Um, but that's really at, you know, God gave us a free will. Um, we don't make that mandatory within our programs. We make it as part of a component, but 90% of them, um, want that. And so when they choose that and they embrace it, we come alongside them and be able to get them connected to churches. We get them into Bible studies, community um, within other believers that they can begin to build healthy relationships because they don't even know what healthy relationships are yep. because of their victimization. And so we have to provide mentors, um, but also that spiritual coordinator and get them into churches and, and also teach the church to understand some of their struggles, a lot that walk through the doors um, are in the LGBTQ or, you know, have decided that they don't want to have, you know, a relationship with that opposite sex because of their victimization and what has happened to them. And um, so we have to walk alongside them in that journey, too, and model something different. And so it's it's not just easy to say, hey, we do this and everybody loves it um, because that's not the reality of the journey. But the journey is we as Calder Freedom employees need to model who Christ is. And I'm telling you, my staff does an amazing job at that. I get teary-eyed. Um, and that's what brings them to Christ. And that's mm. where they get true freedom. And Amen. we know that. That's right. And that's where we want to walk alongside them, um, help them understand what Jesus really looks like, not maybe what they thought he looked like, but hopefully what he really looks like, and allow them to um, plug them into journey with that spiritual walk and, and have their own within a healthy uh, Christian community. Amen. Amen. And it, you know what? We, we just read this the other day. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed, right? Not yeah. you might be free, but you really are. And he has a way of drawing people. He uses, you know, this is the incredible thing. I don't know what you would say, Mary. Let me let me ask you. And then I want to give you guys a final word of exhortation you want to give to the audience. But Mary, 
um, you know, one of the things that I that I think about is how people always give an excuse of whatever they've whatever they've endured, whoever's hurt them, whoever's been bad to them, and they'll give an excuse for their own behavior in that. And I see the goodness of God in yeah. in everything, even the bad things that happened to my the stupid sinful, wicked things that I did, I can see God's goodness, not in my sin, but in his preservation, his grace, his patience with me, because somehow I know Jesus purchased me a long time ago. There's just a time where God is going out and searching and finding me. Not that I'm looking for him because I wasn't, but that, that he came and found me. And as the scripture says, you know, he makes us a new creation. All things become new. How do yeah. how do you look back on what happened to you and you see all those bad things that happened? Can you see the silver lining yeah. of the goodness of God that he works all things together for good for to those who love him and are called, in, called according to his purpose? Yes, absolutely. One hundred percent. Through my whole journey here and it will be my lifelong journey here on Earth. Uh, when I was down in Columbia and this was going to uh, happen to me where I would have to commit this crime and be arrested uh, and have a federal case. When my son was taken from me that night before I prayed, I prayed to God and I said, God, I don't know how I'm gonna get home. I've asked for help, I've called people, I've reached out, I tried to do what I knew what to do, but I, I didn't have a clue anymore. So I said, God, I'm handing everything to you. I don't know how to get home. I don't know if that home is my physical home or my, home where I grew up, or if it's my earthly home. But please, something, Lord, for um, my son and I, he's two months old. Now, God answered in his way, in his time. It wasn't the journey I wanted to take <laughs> by any means, but you turn that around for the goodness of God and for, for, for the kingdom. I know a lot of crappy things happened to me. I get it. I had to walk that walk and go through it. And the day I was truly, I would say free and is the day that I surrendered. And I talked to other uh, victims. We go from victims to survivors, to thrivers, to overcomers. How do we get to be an overcomer in life? I literally laid in my living room floor, spread my arms out and I cried and I said, God, through your son, I am tired. I do not know how to live day to day. I'm tired of just surviving. I want more. I don't know how to understand what happened to me. Show me. Give me the discernment. Um, make this for your glory. And he did it. And amen. Uh, that was the day amen. that I really had a different outlook. Mm -hmm. Mary, let's start with you. And then Becky, if you'll follow up. What's a final word of exhortation you'd leave with our with our audience who's uh, watching? We still have um, a couple hundred people watching here. What would you what would a, a word of exhortation you would give to people as a final word uh, to them after this interview? I would just say really know that human trafficking, sex and labor trafficking isn't what it is looked like in in the movies it's not like taken it's not like pretty woman get educated educate your family have those tough talks don't have the fear don't don't put fear in yourself because we are humans we are uh creatures of god and and show that and reach out um 
read the book. Uh, that book is not priced at this horrible cost. This is for people to really educate and say no more. Evil does not win. And we're going to, as a community, as a nation, come together. And I, I talk about that all the time and I get real hyped about it because it's in front of us. It's in your state. It is happening. And it's happening here in the United States. Yep. Yep. That's right. Becky? There's a stat that 3% of victims are ever identified. And I truly believe that we can be a part of the answer or we can just sit and watch. And so I want to challenge people today to be part of the answer. Um, if we don't break the silence over human trafficking, these victims do not leave. And that's not good enough. And that's never what God intended for people to be in slavery. We see his word, but he had to do it through people and he had to use people to do his work. And so I want to encourage people to get connected in their local communities with anti-human trafficking groups. I'm going to encourage people to be a voice when individuals don't have their own voice. It's a community coming together to break the silence over human trafficking. It is happening, people. Get the book or get educated in some form or fashion to understand what it looks like and be a part of the solution. Hey, man, I think that's a good word. I think that's a good word. And, you know, I, I, I know there's a lot of people in our listening audience who are very active in their local communities um, and they have had enough. They are they are learning new things. They're implementing those things. They're looking to hold representatives accountable. They're looking to be involved in the community at that level. And I got to tell you, this right here is probably one of the biggest reasons you can push for the constitutional militia, not the National Guard. That's not what our forefathers had. Article one, uh, section eight, clause 15 and 16. The militia is the able bodied men. And again, uh, you know, if people want to call us misogynists, knock yourself out there. But it's men who's supposed to be protectors and providers of women. That's what we're supposed to be. And uh, we're also su supposed to be the real law enforcers in this country because we're the government. The people are supposed to be the government. Instead, we've we've sold out like Esau for a bowl of a bowl of stew for some hirelings who will tell us they'll uphold the law, who tell us they'll uphold the Constitution. And uh, and yet they don't do it. They don't do it often. And so it's really up to us to, to be doers of the word, not just hearers only deceiving ourselves. Ladies, thank you so much for uh, being with me this morning. And uh, if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye to you off air. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then Lord willing, I'm going to be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m. bright and early. Talk to you then. See ya.